So good morning, Woodland Hills. As I said earlier, welcome to the last service of 2014. Cannot believe it. Cannot believe it. This year went twice as fast as the previous year, which went twice as fast as the year before that, which went twice as fast as the year before that. This train is picking up speed and heading to glory, I'm telling you. It's, uh, it goes faster and faster and faster. Isn't that true? It's just incredible. It just blows me away. Blows me away. So we are in, we're ending t- today this series on, uh, uh, we're calling it BC because we're looking at the prequel to Christmas. The story leading up to the story, just as you can't understand a person in the present without understanding their story leading up to the present. So also, you don't fully understand what Christmas is about until you understand some of the story that led up to it. So we started several weeks ago looking at the master plan. And I was sure my conviction there that the incarnation uh, was not an afterthought on God's part. It was the plan all along. God wanted to unite himself with us at some point and envelop us into his triune fellowship by that means. He wants to eternally share himself with us. Uh, that became a rescue mission after the rebellion, uh, and it required Christ to not only become a human being, but to suffer and die. But the union with us was, was a plan from the start. And then we looked at the genealogy of Jesus last week and saw that there's some dicey people in Jesus' past, which communicates something significant to us. If you weren't here, I encourage you to, to go back and, and get that message. And then on Christmas Eve, we looked at prophecies, how uh, certain aspects of Jesus' life and death were, uh, were foretold. And so today we're going to wrap up this series by looking at the way in which Christ fulfills all the promises of God that are found throughout the Old Testament. He's the fulfiller of all these promises. We're, keep, we're, we're entitling this message, Keeping Christmas. Uh, and we're kind of basing it on, not kind of, it's totally based on, the last line of Charles Dickens' famous Christmas carol. And in this line, Scrooge says this, He vows to honor Christmas in my heart, and to try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. So he wants to be the, the Christmas keeper, all right? The one who, who cherishes all the promises of Christmas throughout the year. What we're going to see in this message is that Christ, uh, that little baby born in Bethlehem, is the fulfiller of, of uh, all of God's promises. This is what Christmas is all about. It fulfills all the promises of God towards us. But not only that, but what I hope we get to understand by the end of this message is that Christ also fulfills all that is required of us towards God. He's the fulfiller of both sides of this. Uh, a passage I want us to just kind of chew on for a minute, and we'll come back to it uh, in a little bit, but just sort of the prime the pump, is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, in which uh, Paul says, For in Christ... Every one of God's promises is a yes. It's just a way of saying it's fulfilled. There's no if, ands, or buts. It's done. And for this reason, it is through him, through Christ, through Christ, the one in whom all of God's promises to us are fulfilled, that we say the amen to the glory of God. What does that mean when when Paul says it's through Christ that we say amen to the glory of God? One thing you need to know is that Paul's using covenantal language here, both with regard to the yes and amen. The promises are all covenantal promises. Like everything in the Bible is, in one way or another, covenantal. So when he says amen, uh, it's not just a verbal amen that he's talking about. In a covenantal context, when you say amen, it's like saying I do in marriage. It's a, it's a commitment to walk a certain way. It's the godly response to God's yes. God goes yes, and we go amen, and we do it not just with the word, but with our life. So Paul is saying that it's through Christ that our life is a amen to God's promises. Our life aligns with God's promises. 
And so the question is, what does that mean? Through Christ, our life aligns with God's promises, agrees with God's promises. Amen. It means I concur. Let it be so. But we say not just with the words, but with our life. What does it mean that we do that through Christ? One hint at this is in the final phrase of this verse, where Paul says that it's all to the glory of God. And so in some profound sense, and this is what we're going to be talking about here this morning, in some profound sense, God gets the credit. God gets the glory, not only for fulfilling the promises on his end, but for our amen in response to those promises. To some, in some profound sense, that also is to the glory of God. Pray with me here for a moment. Father, I pray that you open our eyes to see the beauty and the depth, the width, the height of the truth of, of who you are and who we are because of who you are and what you've graciously done to us in Christ Jesus. I pray that Jesus Christ would be supremely glorified in this message and that our spirits would say amen to this. Uh, and not just with our words, but with our life. Build your kingdom in us and through us and root out all lies. Everything that disagrees with your truth, just root it out of our minds and our hearts so we can put on display the beauty of who you've created us and saved us to be. But my words can do none of that, so I just trust the sufficiency of your spirit. Infuse these words with your authority and build your kingdom in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. That means you agree with it. That means concur. Let it be so. It means bring it. (laughs) Bring it on. Come on. Hit me with the truth. I can handle the truth. Okay, good. So here's the thing. This is a covenantal language. And Paul is saying that, that all the promises that we find throughout the Old Testament, and there's various covenants that, that happen throughout the period of the Old Testament. And all of them have some promise involved that's fulfilled in Christ. So we can't exclude any of the covenants in terms of what Christ fulfilled. But having said that, there is one particular covenant, I think, that more than any other Paul has in mind as he's writing this passage. Uh, it, it really uh, lays the groundwork for what Christ fulfills. And that, that covenant is the covenant that God made with Abraham. It's unique for a number of reasons that we'll get into here. Um, we find out about this covenant in Genesis 15. It starts off with the Lord saying, The Lord brought Abraham outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. And then the Lord said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it or counted it to him as righteousness. So here, Abraham is getting up in years. So is Sarah. They're beyond childbearing years. But the Lord promises him that he's going to have not only a child, but he'll have descendants that are more numerous than the stars of the sky, or as numerous as the stars of the sky. And Abraham trusts him for that, believes that, and it's counted him as righteousness. It's what makes him righteous. Now, the word righteous... We sometimes think it's synonymous with like personal holiness or something. But in a covenantal context, it actually means right-relatedness. And so because of his trust, Abraham was rightly related to God. See, this is the relationship that God has always wanted with human beings. It's very simple. He simply wants to be God and have us be trusting him to be the God he says he is. And to be in right relationship with him. It's very simple. Paul looks at the simplicity of this covenant with Abraham. Simply trusting God makes you rightly related. He looks at that, and and on that basis, he discerns that everything that came later, all the laws with all the, you know, Levitical stuff and the pigeons getting killed and all of that, that that wasn't part of God's original plan. That was an accommodation to Israel's hardness of heart. 
In fact, the reason he gave that law, Paul sees, is, is not because he wanted people to relate to him that way, but he wanted to show that people can't relate to him that way. Paul says it was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. So we have to first be shown that we can't relate to God on the basis of, our, of the law and our, our just trying to obey that. That is never the right way. You'll never get rightly related to God, like God on that basis. Uh, it's a negative object lesson. And so he goes back to Abraham. Before, this, is, this is hundreds of years before Moses, before the Sinai covenant was given. Here we find simple trust. And Paul says that's what God's always been after, and that's what he's still after. So he says this. He's arguing against some legalists who are trying to bring the law back into the gospel. He's saying, no, it's not going to be so. And he appeals to Abraham to refute them. He says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, quoting this passage. So you see, those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. The promise to Abraham had many descendants. It has an application on a physical level. He was the father of, uh, at a physical level. But its most profound application is that he is the father of all who believe, Paul says. And all who believe are, are Abraham's seed. In, in a spiritual sense. All who have the simple faith that Abraham had are, are his spiritual descendants. And, and so this is the one covenant in the Old Testament that's incorporated into the new covenant. Because it incorporates everything that God originally wanted. Just trust me to be the God that I say that I am. That's what was lost in the fall, by the way, when, when Eve stopped trusting God. Believed a deceptive picture, no longer believed. So we're just getting back to what the plan was from the very start. Okay, so God shows them all this. Now, Abraham wants a sign or, or some assurance, which shows that your faith doesn't have to be perfect faith uh, to be rightly related to God. Abraham want, you know, wants some assurance here. There's a lot of evidence that this isn't going to happen. I'm old. Sarah's old. How can we have kids? So God says, fine, let's, let, let's do a covenant. A covenant is meant to provide assurance to both parties that you're really in this thing, okay? Um, and, and so he says, let's forge a covenant. And so here's how the covenant takes place. That says, uh, Genesis 15, 9 through 10, he said, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these things and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other. Gross. A lot of blood going on there. You see, that's how they did it back then. Uh, we know from other ancient Near Eastern cultures and their literature that... Uh, they would make a covenant. They literally called it cutting a covenant. And that's how it's referred to in the Old Testament. Cut a covenant. Because this is what you always did. They would take certain animals, and the animals would depend on the culture, the religion, and some symbolic stuff. But they would cut them in two and, and put them uh, apart from one another. And then the people making a covenant would stand in the middle of the severed animal parts and make this covenant. And what they were doing when they did that, they were saying, if I break covenant with you, let it be to me as it is with these animals. Let me be torn asunder... If I break covenant with you, they took covenant very, very seriously. To violate your word is death. Especially when you're talking about a word with a covenant with the God who is life itself. To break covenant with him is death. So the, the ground is laid for this covenant to take place. And then here's what happens next. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot, and this is a vision that Abraham is now having as he's asleep or a dream, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the animal parts. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, and it goes on from there. Okay, here's what's going on in this uh, uh, passage. Uh, the flaming, or the, the smoking fire pot, we know from other literature, was a common ancient Near Eastern symbol of provision. 
It was a symbol for provision. And the deity that was believed to, do, to give that provision was often depicted as this flaming uh, or, or smoking fire pot. All right? It stands for provision or the deity that, that provides. The flaming torch was a commonly used symbol either for light and or for purification. And the deity who gave light, who led people, shed light on things, who guided them, or the deity who purified them was often symbolized by this flaming torch. And so God, who always comes down and meets people where they're at, this is the language that Abraham would understand. That's why he had the animal parts as well. It's not that God liked that, but that's the language that Abraham understood. So God gets on his knees and, and says, okay, I will do it your way. And he's, Abraham's the one who needs assurance. This isn't for God's sake. This is for Abraham. So he talks his language. He understands severed animal parts, so that's what God does. Here, God uses symbols that Abraham will be aware of. He comes out of Ur, a pagan country. And uh, what God is saying here then, by taking on these two symbols and going between the animal parts, is he's saying, Abraham, trust me to be your provider, and trust me to be your light, and trust me to be your purifier. And if I break covenant with you, then let it be to me as it is these severed animal parts. Let me be torn asunder. But there's something strange about this covenant. Because whenever a covenant was made, all the parties involved in the covenant stood between the animal parts. In this covenant, Abraham isn't there. He's watching. The only one standing between the animal parts is Yahweh. And what that is saying, and it's, it's intentional because this, it really does stand out to have only one of the covenant partners standing between the animals making this, this pledge. And what Yahweh is saying with this is this. Abraham, the covenant I'm making with you and your descendants is one in which I will be the faithful one on both sides. Abraham's, Abraham's not required to get in there and make this pledge, let it be to me as it is these animal parts. What Yahweh is saying is I will take responsibility to be faithful on my end, but also faithful on your end. In fact, if I break covenant with you, then let it, I'll be torn asunder. But if you break covenant with me or any of your descendants break covenant with me, I'll, I'll be torn asunder. I will pay the price for any covenant breaking that goes on here, even even it's on your part. It's an incredible, incredible covenant God's making here. Now, it's in that light that we need to understand 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Let's read it again. For in Christ, every one of God's promises is a yes. And for this reason, it is through him that we say amen to the glory of God. What's going on here, folks, is that that little baby born in Bethlehem Christmas morning was fully God and fully human. And he is the fulfillment of all that God promises us, and he's the fulfillment of all that God requires of us. That little baby born in Bethlehem Christmas morning, uh, he was, as fully God, he was the one who fulfilled all the provisions uh, that God had promised us. He is the supreme provider. He is the smoking fire pot. He's God's smoking fire pot. Uh, previous service, I said he's God's smoking pot. And I left out the fire. That's not good. That's not good. No, he's God's smoking fire pot. Um, and and, um, uh, and, and see, he's the provider. He's the one who provides us with our life, right? With eternal life in Christ. Because he's fully God, he provides us with salvation. He is the one who takes care of us. In fact, every good gift comes from the Father above. He's always providing for us. Everything that we have that is positive comes from him, and it's all fulfilled in the person of Christ. And he's the light. He's the light of the world, right? He's the flaming torch of God. He's the one who leads us and guides us, who shows us the way to live, shows us what right relatedness with God looks like. He's the, he's the light of the world. So he fulfills all the promises of God. 
as God, but he's also fully human. And so that little baby born in, in Bethlehem, as he grows, he lives in right relatedness with God. He's the one person in history that actually keeps covenant consistently. He's faithful. And we're told that when we simply believe like Abraham believed, when we trust in him, then his faithfulness is accredited to us. It's reckoned to us as righteousness. So he fulfills God's end towards us, and he fulfills our end towards God. But one more thing, that little baby born in Bethlehem later on goes to Calvary. And though he is the one person who is not a covenant breaker, he suffers as a covenant breaker for all the rest of us who are covenant breakers. He stands in our place as sinners. And so this is God being torn asunder for our covenant breaking. He, he bears the brunt of that, praise God. And instead, we are credited with the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. He upholds both hands of the covenant. So this is the fulfillment of the covenant that was made with Abraham, and now it's made with all of Abraham's de- descendants. And that consists of everybody who simply believes, who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? So our amen. Now, it goes, goes a little deeper than that. Our amen, our amen is possible only because of Christ's amen. We stand in Christ's amen. We, we, you can really see more clearly how God upholds both ends of this when you ask the question, how does God reckon us as righteous? Now, as I shared in, in the first message in the series, um, dozens and dozens of times we are said to be in Christ. When we trust in Christ, we're placed in Christ. We're given a new address. We're given a new location. Paul's not talking poetry when he says we're in Christ. He's speaking ontologically, if you will, metaphysically. This is reality. And so we're, in a mystical way that we can't quite comprehend, put in Christ. Now this brings me to this illustration I used a couple weeks ago. Remember Wanda and the water? Yeah, Wanda and the water. Time to take a bath, girl. So the, the, the jar represents Jesus, and the water in the jar represents all the blessings that accompany Jesus. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And, and, and Wanda here represents the bride of Christ. And that's all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, when we put our trust in Christ, we yield to the Spirit who's pulling us in this direction. We finally say, I give. And then we put our trust in Christ. We are then put in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Now, what that means is that, that everything that's true about the jar of water becomes true about Wanda. I mean, the water is wet, so guess what? Wanda's wet. The water is sharing its properties with Wanda. In fact, everything that's true about the jar becomes true about Wanda. Um, Wanda isn't the jar, but she is one with the jar. Because you can't look at the jar without looking at Wanda. You can't love the jar without loving Wanda. Uh, everything you do to the jar, you do to Wanda, because Wanda is one with the water, and all that's true about the, the, the jar of water is also true about Wanda. So if I were to heat the jar up, the water would get warm, therefore Wanda would get warm. And if I were to cool the jar down, the water would get cool, so Wanda would get cool. And if I raise, if I raise the jar high, Wanda is high because the jar is high. And if I put it low, then Wanda is low because the jar is low. If I put it in the dark, Wanda is dark because the jar is dark. If I put it in light, Wanda is light because the jar is light. You get the point I'm making. Well, that's how it is with us in Christ. We're incorporated into Christ, and all that is true for Christ by nature, because he's uh, the, the second person of the Trinity, because he's the Son of God, all that is eternally true about Christ uh, by nature becomes ours by grace. Every spiritual blessing, Paul says, we're given in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ Jesus has it, and therefore we have it. And so, get this, God's eternal yes to Jesus, within the love of the triune God, that yes now becomes our yes because we are in Christ Jesus. It's not a different yes or a subsidiary yes or a derivative yes. It's the same yes. God's saying yes to you with the same yes he's eternally said to Christ Jesus. And now Jesus has become a human being, lived a perfect life. 
And so now Jesus' perfect amen to the Father becomes our amen to the Father. Uh, we're rightly related with God because we're put in the one who is rightly related. He's the only one who's ever been rightly related. But now we get to benefit from his right relatedness because we are in him. And, and all that is true about him becomes true of us. So the amen of his loving response to the Father is our loving response to the Father. And the amen of his perfect obedience is our obedience. The amen of his perfect faith is our faith. The amen of his perfect submission is our submission. The amen of his sinlessness is our sinlessness because we are in Christ Jesus. Amen? You see, you see what this means? I mean, it's, it, it, it's just astounding. That's how we are right related. We have the right, right relatedness of the triune God. It doesn't get more rightly related than this. And that's true about you now because you are in Christ Jesus once you put your trust in Christ Jesus. All that is true of Christ by nature becomes ours by grace. Somebody say amen. amen. See, you couldn't have said that unless you were in Christ Jesus, if you really meant that. Because see, that's not your amen. That's the, the amen that you have by virtue of being in the one who is the amen of God. All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. And it's through him that we say Amen to all this. And then, now we say amen with our life to all this. It's only because we are in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus is in us. And what this means, and this is a game changer if you really get it, because it means we don't do anything towards God on our own. It's not our job to crank it out, to have our willpower. We're going to you know, get ourselves right with God. And I know a lot of churches preach that. Like, come on, put your elbow work into it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What's wrong with you? Call yourself Christians. No, we're, we're, we don't crank that out on our own willpower. Our job, our job is, is to simply yield, believe and yield to what is already true about us. Uh, you see, Paul gets at this in Galatians uh, 3. I love this passage. He says this, I, Through the law, I died to the law. The law is, is, simply represents all willpower religion. Here's the rules. Do them. And if you need some threats to back that up, I'll motivate you. You'll go to hell if you don't. So crank it out. Come on, Christian. Well, Paul says, I, through the law, I died to the law. Because you know what? You can't get rightly related with God on that basis. Some people are good at doing laws, but you can't relate to God right on that basis. Because that presupposes that God is the harsh lawgiver rather than the lover. Uh, and, and you can't be related to God rightly if you have a wrong portrait of God. He says, I died to the law so that I might live to God you got to die to the law, die to the self-effort if you're going to live to God. And then he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The I who's been crucified is Paul's old I. The I that was the Pharisee. The I that was the self-willer. The I that was put myself up my own bootstraps to impress God. That, he was, that, was, that in all sin was crucified with Christ. And now he says, it's no longer I who live. But it's Christ who lives in me. See, this is the new self. This is Paul, Paul in Christ, and Christ in Paul. This is the new self. And it's no longer I that's, I'm not cranking anything out. It's rather Christ, just being Christ in me. Christ living in me. And so the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Our, the only, only thing we can do is to yield and to trust And those are two sides of the same coin. If you really trust something, you yield to it. To trust that what God says is true, like Abraham did. Have the faith of Abraham. Even if all the evidence in your life is to the contrary, like it was with Abraham. Who has kids when they're 99 years old, you're right? All the evidence goes against it. You feel like a loser. You've always been told you're a loser. You're this or you're that. You're a sinner. You're going to be addicted all your life. Whatever. Well, 
Paul says, the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. You believe this to be true. All that is true about the Son of God is now true about you. And so you align your heart with that, you align your mind with that, and you yield to that, and now it's no longer you that's striving to get right with God. It's Christ in you. You see? There's no striving in this. It's Christ in you. You just yield to the truth. Think of it like this. Like Christ is this infinite reservoir of life that you have inside of you. It's, it's all the water. It's every spiritual blessing. It's the power of Christ, the joy of Christ, the peace of Christ. All of it is inside of you, and you are inside of it. This is your new environment, and this is already true. You'll never get more of it than you have right now. It's there. Uh, and, and think of your mind and heart as sort of like, like a dam that's holding back the reservoir. See, while this is instantly true about us, what's not instantly, instantly true is that our brains are changed. And therefore, our habits are changed. Our life has changed. That's the role that we, that we cooperate with God on, to yield to this. And so think of every lie we believe as a valve that's closed. And it blocks that river from flowing into your experience, into your life. You don't experience it because you're blocking it. Because you keep on believing the lies that you inherit from this world, from Satan, from mom, from dad, whoever. We believe lies about God, ourselves, others. And every lie is a, is a stopper to the reservoir. Whereas every true thing we believe, every, to the degree that we get our minds to line up with truth and our hearts to line up with truth, our lives will begin to manifest truth. And now the river is flowing, folks. Out of, your, out of your innermost being, Jesus says in John 7, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. The rivers of living water, that is Christ in you. He wants to live through you. He wants you to experience this. He wants to transform you. And the way we're transformed is simply not by acquiring a new thing. We never acquire a new thing. Never. We, we've got it all. We simply manifest a true thing, an old thing that's been there all along. It's true. And so we yield to it. Now the river begins to flow. Uh, and, and this is what it's all about, folks. We can't do any of this on our own. In fact, I don't know about you, but often trying to do it on your own backfires. You, you, this year you're going to conquer that thing. And have you found that sometimes when you're trying to conquer that thing, it intensifies. Like if someone draws a line in the sand and says, line in the sand says Greg, don't jump over that, I immediately have an urge to jump over it. <laughs> I, I wasn't thinking about it before, but now you said don't, and I... You know, it, it's, this is what Paul, Romans 7, Paul gets at this. He goes, the law, the law intensifies sin. The rule, don't, makes you want to do the don't. <laughs> and so it's self-defeating. We can't do this on our own. We don't have the power to do this on our own. But thank God we're not on our own. We are not only not on our own, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. And so the goal is to no longer be, it's no longer I that am striving to be holy. It's Christ being holy through me. It's no longer I that am striving to be rightly related. It's Christ being rightly related through me. It's no longer I that am trying to you know, be more disciplined. It's Christ being disciplined through me. It's no longer I that am struggling with the habit. It's Christ who's already conquered the habit. It's already done. In fact, if you begin to align this, just, just, con- just confessing, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me, you can often just feel a surge of power. Try it. This week. I've known this truth for 20-some years, but you know how it is. You can know a truth, and you forget to apply it. I'm sure I'm the only sinner in this room. Uh, <laughs> it's so weird because I, as I'm studying this this week, it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot. That's right. I'm supposed to apply this stuff. Um, this is the great thing about preaching. It exposes all your sin, and then you get to share it with everybody. It's, I've often described preaching as just inviting other people in on my misery. It's like... Uh, let's suffer together here. But it's, it's so here, here. So this week, 
I, I, I start to apply it. So I, we're having a Christmas get-together, and as sometimes happens in family gatherings, guess what? I, for very good reasons, got quite angry. Yes, and now there's a godly way of being angry and an ungodly way of being angry, and mine always starts off being godly and ends ungodly. <laughs> uh, so, so this is happening, and so I'm struggling with this. This time I'm not going to swear. This time I'm just, you know. I, I, and then all of a sudden I realize, I'm preaching on that this, this, this week. Um, I'm not supposed to be trying to fight this with my willpower. It's no longer I that conquers this ungodly anger. It's Christ in me who's already conquered the anger. It's no longer I that's trying to be peaceful. It's, it's Christ in me who is already peaceful. I got the reservoir in me. And just, just confessing that, seeing that, imagining that, living in that, I began to feel this, this it, it dissuaded, it, it was, became diluted, it began to just kind of seep out. It, it was a surge of like, whoa, Christ is doing it through me. Because I'm not very good at controlling this stuff. The more I try to control it, the, the more the worse it gets. But Christ has already conquered it. We sang about it earlier in Christ, we're more than conquerors. But it's in Christ that we're more than conquerors. On your own, you're a loser. In Christ, you're more than a conqueror. And so it's about releasing this thing that is in Christ. You know, we're coming to the time of year where, where everybody makes resolutions, right? Uh, this year, I'm going to. And see, they don't usually work because we're saying, this year, I'm going to. No, I encourage you not to do that. Um, if there's any resolution that we're to make, it should be just this. I resolve to trust that what God says is true, that I am in Christ Jesus and Christ is in me. And to yield to that truth. To just let Christ live through me. That's the only resolve we need to make. And even that resolve we can only make, and we need to always remember this, because we're in Christ Jesus. Uh, if, if we make any good godly resolve, it's because we're in the one who is the resolver. <laughs> right? uh, and, and, and so even that is, is, is by virtue of God's grace. The only thing we can do is yield to that. That's the only resolution that should be out there. The minute we start going, I will, I shall, whatever. Well, you know what? See, here, people think that... More willpower is the solution, especially we Americans. Parishioners who are listening from other countries, apply it as it does or not. But in America, we're all about will, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Anybody who really wants to try as hard can become anything, so we're told. Uh, you know, it's, it's a self-effort it's kind of a, a, a culture that we're in. And so we, we motivate people by trying to get more will out of them. And that's appropriate in jobs and stuff. Your boss needs to do that. Come on! You need more sales or whatever. But when it comes to right, being rightly related with God, the only way to do it is by being in the one who is already rightly related. And what is true about him is true about you because you're in him. Uh, and so in, in the kingdom, willpower isn't the solution. It's the problem. And so much of Christianity is about trying to get people to put forth more willpower when that is the very problem. You need to get out of the way. <laughs> you need to crucify that old self. That's the self-willing self. Crucify that thing. And that's about putting off all lies. To yield to the truth and trust the truth means that we put aside all the lies that we believe. Uh, and, and, and all the aspects of the old self that are there. It's just about getting out of the way. Now, the old self is already dead. But we keep on hanging on to them. So the only thing we can do is let go of that as we trust the truth and yield the truth. That's, and then watch this thing get unleashed. Watch it. It's, just, it's, it's, it's really amazing. Now, it's not magic. And by that, I mean this. Some people might hear this and they'll think, oh, if I, here's a formula. We're always looking for formulas. Formulas are always magic. Uh, here's, here's the formula. If I just trust and yield, then my life will be a cakewalk. There'll be no more suffering, no more problems. Everything will be overcome. And that isn't the case. 
Letting go of lies, letting go of old habits, old behaviors of the old self can be very painful. Um, and, and, and that's the suffering that is required as we are just trusting in the truth and yielding to the truth. But even there, I want us to see this, even when that is the case, we're still in Christ Jesus. In fact, Paul says several times in his epistles that we suffer with Christ Jesus. We participate in his suffering. We share in his suffering. So any suffering we go through in the process of being more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ is suffering that is shared with Christ. Even there, we're empowered to go through it because Christ is in us and we are in Christ. So I encourage us to embrace that suffering. Our old self fears suffering, wants to run from it, cries whenever it gets it, pouts, feels victimized, comply, all that stuff. You know, in in the kingdom, if it's suffering that is getting you towards Christ-likeness, reframe it, not as a bad thing, but as a positive thing. This is the taste of freedom. Embrace it. This is good. It it, it physically maybe doesn't feel, you know, pleasant. If you're getting rid of some addiction or something, it's, you got to go through weeks of just, you know, irritation or whatever. But, but the Christ empowers you to do that. And this is the taste of freedom. You're on your way to manifesting the truth of who you are in Christ. It's already true about you. You just got to get rid of that old carcass skin. You know, it's tear that old skin off to get liberated to manifest this truth. Now, several practices help in this. The challenge here, the biggest challenge, and I'm testifying my own experience is to remember this. To remember this, because the old self-autopilot, it blocks God out. It, 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 our old fallen, old self-habit of thinking, we, we, we just block God out. We forget. It goes on autopilot. We live life as atheists. Think about God at night when we go to bed, maybe in the morning when we wake up, but otherwise we forget. So the, the challenge is to remember this. A, a discipline that I talk a lot about here, because it's the most fundamental one, that, one there is, is practicing the presence of God where you try to include in your mind one piece of information that you normally, in your old self-thinking, cast out. And that is the most important piece of information at any moment, which is you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are always surrounded by the presence of Christ wherever you go. We sang about it earlier. Wherever you go, you're surrounded by the love of God that has no limit to the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of it. You're always in the presence of God. Try to remember that. Because if we don't remember that God exists, it's hard to be yielding to him and trusting him. All right, so be aware of the crisis in you. A second thing is develop a habit of praying or confessing this truth. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives within me. Uh, especially as you notice, maybe you're getting involved in some things or having some attitudes or behaviors that are not consistent with who you are in Christ. As you're saying that, remind yourself, don't, don't get into this self-struggle. It's no longer you, but Christ who lives, lives in you. And unleash that power there. Open up the valve. And the third, third thing that's important in this, and I find this to be so powerful, is to imagine yourself as you are in Christ. It's good to tell yourself all the truth that you are in Christ. It's even better to have, in times of prayer, imagining this. This is an imaginative prayer. Where you, you see yourself, especially in situations where you tend to be least Jesus-like, least like you truly are. In those situations, envision yourself as the Jesus version of you. Jesus living life through you. What do you look like when Jesus is living his life through you? Because if you can't see it, you'll never become it. It's just the way we're wired. And see this as, as practicing for reality. Um, you, know, you never get good at anything unless you practice, right? Uh, this is as true about living the Christ-like life as it is about anything, maybe more so. Um, don't wait for the situation to be upon you before you start preparing for it. Rather, in prayer, 
Pre- preview it. See it. Envision it. What do you look like as you're manifesting your true identity in Christ? What do you look like when you're free of that old self, that petty self, that gossipy self, that self that always gives into temptation sooner or later? What do you look like? Envision that and say amen to it. It is so. Let it be. And that amen is participating in the amen of Christ that he eternally has towards the Father in response to his yes. In fact, let's try this. We've got a few minutes here. I close your eyes for a second. I'll leave you in a quick little exercise, and I encourage you to do this regularly in your life. Think of one thing, and Holy Spirit help us here. Think of one thing. Not more than that, because you've got to take a bite before you can eat a meal. Don't, don't try to chew off everything. One thing in your life that isn't consistent with your identity in Christ, that isn't God's will. One thing that you know God would want you to be free of. Because the reality is you already are. Think of that one thing. If you search hard enough, I'm sure you can find one thing. And envision that. See see yourself as having this thing that's not of God. It could be an attitude. It could be a habit that you have that you need to get rid of or a habit that you don't have that you need to acquire. The habit of generosity or the habit of, of prayer. But, okay, so here you are. This is how you experience yourself right now. Now, as you are envisioning this, however you do it in your mind, in your spirit, call out what is true here. And the truth is that that is a lie. That's the old self that's been crucified. Now, maybe it feels very, very real. But it's not. That's a lie. It's a lie. So that is a lie. As Abraham ignored all the evidence that said that he couldn't have children, so also you just ignore all the evidence, all the experience that you have that says that this, this is true. This picture of yourself having this thing. And now I want you to then envision the Jesus version of you relative to this thing. You're now free of this because you've always been free of it. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. It's no longer you that's fighting this. It's Christ in you who's already conquered it. So envision, what do you look like? Especially in situations where you tend to most look unlike Jesus. Where your temper gets triggered. Or where you fall into the temptation. Or where you have your meltdown. Envision that situation. See the Jesus version of you in that situation. It's no longer you, but Christ who lives in you. What do you look like in that situation? Just run a little video of that. Holy Spirit, make it vivid, make it real. All we're doing here, folks, is getting our minds to line up with truth. That's all. This isn't pop psychology or positive thinking or new age mambo-jambo. This is just getting our mind, our imagination to line up with what is true. See yourself as that. And say amen to that. Amen. This is so. This is real. This is who I am in Christ. Agree with God. Trust that God knows what he's doing. That is the true you. Living in the power of Christ. Unleashing the power of Christ. And keeping the valves open by believing truth and yielding to the truth. Affirm it is true. One more thing. Probably some folks listening in the auditorium or through podcast know that to manifest the truth means getting rid of this thing which is going to be involve pain. 
And you've always been afraid of this. You, you've maybe always believed you can't possibly endure this. You've tried 19 times, and every time you give in by the second week. But I want to ask you right now, will you identify that suffering as participating in the suffering of Christ? Because Paul says it is. And embrace it as a good thing. Paul says at one point, I desire to know Christ in his sufferings. You're participating, and it won't be you struggling with the suffering. It's Christ in you, and you in Christ. And so just embrace it. Yeah, there may be the road to manifesting this truth may involve some suffering. So be it. Amen. Christ in you is not afraid of that. He already conquered it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just seal this on our hearts and help us to remember this, remind us of this. Set our mind on things above where our life is hid in Christ. Set our mind on the true us in Christ and Christ in us. And helps us not to fall back to our fallen, animalistic, reptilian brainstem autopilot thinking that gets us living habitually as though none of that was true. Yes, Holy Spirit, let it be done. Would you stand with me? I want to ask the prayer teams to come up here. And I want to see if you have any need that could use prayer. I want to encourage you to come up here and, and pray with these folks. Uh, could be about this topic. Could be something about something totally, totally different. Uh, but they'd love to pray with you. If you want to find out about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and surrender your life to him, come up here and talk to these folks. And they'd love to share that with you. As we go out of this place, I want to encourage you not to make any news resolution. <laughs> The only time, you know what, here's the thing. The only time you can make a, the only time you can yield and trust is in the present. Forget about January 1st. The only yield, the only moment you've got to yield is this one. And now this one. This is the only reality. And so this whole idea of waiting January 1st, no, now is the time to yield and, and, and surrender. And as you're driving home, that's the time to, to trust and to yield. And, and tonight, as you're watching shows, that's the time to trust and to yield. And tomorrow morning when you get out of bed, that's the time to trust and yield. So, so make that resolution every second. And you only make that resolution because you're in the one who is the resolver. Uh, you're empowered to do that by virtue of being in him. So I encourage you, don't make any new Stop saying, I'm going to, I'm going to. No, no longer you, but Christ who lives in you. As we leave this place, can we do it? Not out of our own will, out of our own resources, but saying, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives within me. It's Christ who lives within this church, in me. It's Christ in me who's driving home. It's Christ in me who's going to do the dinner. It's Christ in me who's going to live his life through me in Jesus' name. And all who agree with that, say one last time. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and live in the power of Christ. As we near the end of 2014, we'd like to thank you for tuning into our messages here at Woodland Hills. We count it a great privilege to share in the work of furthering God's kingdom together with you. We'd also like to ask you to consider including our church in your year in giving. We couldn't do all that we do, including these podcasts, without the support of people like you who help us financially. You can give online at whchurch.org. Thanks again for being a Podrishner, and have a very happy new year.